Hello, and welcome to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro, a podcast all about the Bible, theology, and all things related to the Christian faith. I'm the Ryan half of Ryan and Brian, and this is episode number 10. Welcome to the double digits. Brian and I are talking about worldview today, what it is exactly, and why it is important to understand. If you've been listening to our last couple of episodes, the one about our Holy Land trips and the one about biblical archaeology with Mark Zeiss, you would have heard us discuss how archaeological discoveries and experiencing and seeing the topography of the Holy Land helps inform our understanding of the people, their culture, and expectations during the time of Jesus and his disciples. All those things are wrapped up in worldview, and that is what Brian and I are discussing this week We're going to be moving back into scripture and looking at biblical texts next week, but believe these discussions about the place, history, and worldview of first century Palestine are important for us interpreting scripture. For me personally, these conversations have been really helpful to get a clearer picture of the work of Jesus and just what he meant not only during his time on earth, but what he means to me today. I hope you feel the same. With all that said, let's jump right in and discuss worldview. Well, Brian, welcome back to the Bistro. Hey, good to see you, Ryan. How I mean, you it's our today? Bistro, so I don't know why I'm welcoming you back to your our bistro. bistro. It's our Bistro. It's ours together. We share this Bistro. Yes. And as you said in that, I think the first episode, the Brian and Ryan, it sounds cute, right? <laughs> so that's what this, for, is cute, that what you... Cute little Bistro. Cute little Bistro. Yes. Anyway. All right, moving on. Um, so today I thought we would talk a little bit about worldview because right. we've said that word several times sure. and uh, I think it would be good for us to define what do we mean by worldview. Okay. And so especially as we talk about like the worldview of first century Jewish culture, you know, just like right. what, what all is encompassed in worldview? Yeah, what is pretty... it? Because it's still, we have worldviews as well. Sure. So. Well, that's the, that's the thing is... is Really, a worldview kind of defines the way that you see things. So, it, it, you know, some people have used the term. One of the famous ones is a lens. It's a lens through through which we see things. So it doesn't it doesn't create what we're looking at, but it may you know, like when you look through a lens that maybe like sunglasses, for example, it may make it dimmer or corrective lenses may may make things in a different shape, that kind of thing. So, so it can it can affect the way that we see reality. Now, now here's the problem. There's there's in my opinion. And I mean, you've studied worldview some. You know, yeah. this is part of your education, and, and it's pretty important. What, what I want to get to is really to talk about how it helps us as we study Scripture, and and you know, that's really what we're kind of trying to focus on in the in the bistro here, the Bible bistro, is well, you know, how do we study Scripture? But uh, you know, the problem is sometimes people will talk about worldview as though it is it's almost like a, a lens, but it, it it almost distorts or it. It makes us see things in a way that is different than reality, right? Mm-hmm. And yep. so it so it distorts it. I think the main thing is we just need to be aware of worldviews, and not only our own, but also the worldviews of those who would who would have been the you know the the primary characters and actors in Scripture. I think that's that's kind of what what we're going for. There there was a whole philosophical school that that said we are characterized today you you may have heard the term postmodernism that mm-hmm. kind of thing yes that that really it's it's a disbelief in these overarching worldviews that that characterizes our age uh, i'm going to use two words kind of 
simultaneously meta narrative is an mm-hmm. overarching story. You know, it's a big story about reality, right? And uh, and worldview, I think, are very closely related concepts. And and so there's some who say we can't really, you know, all we have is this kind of lens. It's and it not only does it distort reality, but maybe it kind of creates reality. There, we can't really get beyond those. All we we're kind of trapped, if you will. It's a prison almost of our of our um, way of seeing the world. And I don't, I don't really subscribe to that. I think we do need to be aware that that the way we feel about things is going to affect it. You know, I don't know if I think of a good example, but you know, maybe when you were growing up, <laughs> I can remember thinking, "Man, I'm the luckiest guy alive." You know, I live in the, I live in the best town and the best state and the best country in the world. You know, because that yes. was that was kind of my my bias, right? That's where I was, and and I think there are ways. You know, reading I think widely helps us get you know, beyond our own biases, beyond our own kind of limited worldviews, I think traveling, you know, these are different ways that we can begin to see other people's points of view and that kind of thing. So, yeah. And I think for me, we talked about worldview was part of my education. It was my freshman year and uh, was in a class called interdisciplinary studies. Yes. And it was Uh like a humanities course. And so this was one of the first things I, as I remember, we read a book by James Sire called the universe next door. Mm -hmm. And we talked about worldview and we had this chart and, you know, you always knew people were different than you, right? Um, but you started putting in categories and go, well, this is how they believe the world was made, and this is how they right. influence how they think about this. Yeah. This is what they think about, you know, and it was a lot of, you know, it was about other religions and so forth, but this sure. is what they believe about who the nature of God is and how right. God interacts with the world. And, and you start to get the understanding as you went through this is, I understand how they make these choices then. Right. Because their worldview, it was yes, it affected how they looked at the everything that how they looked at the world. Hence the name right. worldview, <laughs> um, but also the how choice they viewed the world, how they yeah. viewed the world worldview. Uh, but the choices then that they sure. th- that they made in that, and when something happened in their world, right, the lens with which they interpreted right through, and so it became a really um, once you start to understand some of those pieces, you start to understand what someone might be thinking. It's right. not like I know what they're thinking, but kind of going, if they're interpreting this situation through this yeah. lens, you get a better, clearer picture. I often say, I think I've said this before, even here in the Bistro, is I I think that until we understand really, you know, people are like, oh, I just don't understand why somebody thinks that way or why they act that way. I think until we understand that, you know, until we can say, you know, again, we may not agree, but we haven't really understood the full argument, if you will. We haven't really understood the full um, you know, import of this until we can begin to see, oh, I, I, I get why this person might think that. And I think worldview is an important part of that. You mentioned Sire's book, and, and he really, he kind of breaks it down into categories. I'm going to look at it a little bit differently today, if we can, just in this. As I've told you before, one of the writers that probably was most influential for me in, in my thinking is a guy by the name of N.T. Wright. Mm-hmm. And he wrote a book um, oh gosh, it's been years ago now, but uh, he wrote a book called New Testament, the People of God. And and there's three parts to that book, but the very first part of that book really deals with tools of how we can understand worldview. And this is where we get into this idea of interpreting scripture, I think, mm-hmm. uh, how worldview can help us to understand this. And he used some, some ideas from a book that was older than him, written by these two guys named uh, Walsh and Middleton, Brian Walsh and Richard Middleton. They, they wrote a book called The Transforming Vision, Shaping a Christian Worldview. Mm-hmm. And, and what they did is they, they said there are four different parts to any worldview. 
Uh, if you're a group of people, if you're an individual and you, you think about the world in a different way, there, there are four ways. And, and really, here's the difference. This isn't just categorizing, but this is saying when you begin to look at these four things, they begin to tell us something about the worldview of a group or of an, of an individual. Mm-hmm. So, well, technically, there's a philosopher that Walsh and Middleton used named Lonergan that that would say mindset's what an individual has and worldview's what a group has, but we, we don't have to go there. But anyway. <laughs> Moving so, on. <laughs> Down the rabbit trail we hop. <laughs> the four the four things that he talked about are story, questions, symbol, and praxis. And, and let me come back and just kind of break down each of those. So you mentioned the idea of creation stories. So mm-hmm. so the idea of story and especially those founding stories are important for for worldview. What you know, what do we believe about what brought our group together or where our group came from, that kind of an idea. And I always think about repeated stories. I kind of get this image of, you, you know, people sitting around a campfire, maybe, and they're and and the elders of the village are telling the younger generation these stories, and they're repeating them over and over again. You know, here even in families we do this, right? Yes. You know, when you get together at Thanksgiving or Christmas with your family, there's usually these repeated stories, right? We, yes. We already know them. We already know the stories, but we tell them again because it's it's a part of the formation of who we are. Mm-hmm. I think Christians are that way too, right? We like we tell the story of Christmas every year, <laughs> right? That's a, yeah, that's a good time. It's, it's not like we go, oh man, I never heard that story before. You know, like, <laughs> we well, don't forget it as soon as we, we take on the decorations. <laughs> what a shocker! You know, I didn't, I didn't know that's how it ended. Um, or Easter, you know, we tell these stories, but but here's the thing: repeated stories are form us, you know, and, and it, it shapes us. It shapes the way we look we look at the world, even in culture. I, I think one of the examples I usually use in in the United States we we watch TV a lot, and so now it's funny we're getting a, into a time where commercials, you know, aren't like they used to be. But you know, commercials were often you 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 know you, you might see the show one time, but you'll see you know the same commercial, commercial. thirty times, right? Yes. And and if you think about the repeated story, it's shaping who you are and and telling you these stories. My favorite example is truck commercials. Oh yes, Ryan, you're a videographer. How how would you if you're going to shoot a truck commercial for a you know Dodge Ram pickup? Oh, you know maybe we can get a sponsorship with Dodge Ram. But but <laughs> yep, <laughs> I, I think we're knocking on the door of that. <laughs> how would you what 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 kind of look would you go for for that? I think? would look the the working man look yeah, like right. out in the field or carrying something heavy right. and it's easy and yep. yeah. I think through the terrain. You know, the, the, one of the classic scenes you always see with, with these big pickups is they'll, they'll dump like this big thing of gravel in the back of it. And it's like, it's like you would never do that in real life. You see how we just dump three tons of gravel in here and it doesn't bounce? You can right. have that too. Right. And then, and then the other classic one is that, you know, you'll see these as Jeeps are perfect for this. The Jeeps up on the rock and you're like, there's no way that Jeep got up there on its own. Right. But anyway, those, those. So now you can buy your Jeep and drive through suburbia. <laughs> Right, but those stories tell us something about you know they're talking about independence and like you said, hardworking and you know there's di- and and it's a vid- videographer. There's different ways that you do that. So that's this repeated stories is one part of a worldview. Well, I'll, I'll just say in a minute how this affects us in terms of the, the biblical understanding. The second, or Tom Wright puts or N.T. Wright puts it this way, is that there are basic questions we ask, questions about reality, and uh, he kind of breaks those down. He'll say, "Who are we?" You know, how do we identify ourselves? Where are we? What's wrong? In other words, we're defined oftentimes by the problem. And then mm-hmm. what's the solution? Right. And that's an interesting thought because I'm going to use modern United States as an example for we right no now. We have no problems. 
Well, but but the way we answer that, what we really think the problem is, mm, yes, is going to define something about the group that we belong to. Maybe a subculture or a part of the culture. We might not agree with the with the mainstream, but that way we say, well, "Here's what's wrong," and then the way we answer that, well, here's how we could fix what's wrong. Now, again, that's that we can understand that in modern terms, and I'm not going to get political here. But, <laughs> yes, but then you project that back into, let's say, the first century, mm. and you look at a group like the Pharisees that we read about in Scripture, and you ask the question, what would they have thought the problem is? So, for example, Rome was oppressing them, and they they saw themselves. God created us and gave us this land. You know, we have a God-given, literally a God-given right to this land, and we shouldn't be slaves to anyone. So, you know, I'm, I'm thinking kind of tongue-in-cheek there when, you know, Jesus is talking to the Jews who believed in him, it says, and they said, we've never been slaves to anyone. You know, that that says something about their worldview, right? you know, that they're saying we're free people because God has given us this place. The Roman oppression then becomes a problem. But the way they answered that question, how do we deal with it? Uh, well, God's going to take care of it ultimately. He has in the past. He's going to do that again. But then there are other groups. We've talked about the Zealots, for example, who their solution would be maybe Fine. different. Right, yeah. right. There's even different kinds of Pharisees in in the period of time of Jesus' day, and they answered this differently. Some some had what we might call in modern terms more of a laissez-faire kind of um, opinion, and, and others had had a much more hands-on kind of, we need to take care of this. So so you get what I'm saying. The way we answer those questions, who are we is important. When you talked about creation stories, and, and here's the thing I'm going to say, all four of these categories we're going to talk about interact with one another. Mm-hmm. So we answer questions a lot of times by telling stories. You know, Jesus, of course, is the famous storyteller, right, yeah. where he answers questions about, you know, the problems of, you know, what God is doing and these kind of things by telling a story. But the way we define ourselves might be told by a story. So- I use the United States as an example of this often. When you think about our founding stories as a country, what what stories might come to mind when you think about? I mean, I can talk broadly. Yeah, I mean, so George Washington, sure. sto- the stories of him, the Declaration of Independence, right. Pilgrims. Right. Um, War of Independence. War of you Independence. Know, all those stories. Well, hey, let me give you an example. Paul Revere's Ride. There you go. You know, if I mention Paul Revere's ride, everybody's going to know what that story is. One, one if by land, two if by sea. Now we didn't go to the same school, right? But we both know that story. So, so it has. It's something that has been told to us. And and <laughs> oh man, I've got to be careful here. But but you know, that's where education. You know, if you think about the curriculum, you mm-hmm. know that that's where it really makes a difference because you know when we're telling young people these stories and and they're really shaping identity. So this idea of a freedom loving people, we fought the war of independence. You know, this, this kind of an idea is a way way to think about that. So we're going to have a different worldview, for example, about that period of time than let's say if we were if we were a red coat, right? <laughs> we, yes, we might tell the story. Yeah, they don't celebrate Fourth of July, <laughs> right? You know, they might talk about the war of uh, of you know the the U.S. insurrection kind of thing. You yes. know, but uh, so so there's that there's that kind of an idea of of who are we? You know, how do we define ourselves by these early stories? So 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 far, I've talked about story. I've talked about these major questions. Uh, what's what's wrong? What's the solution? Later on, Tom Wright also added this one: What time is it? And and he was talking then about something we're going to talk about on a later podcast. I think apocalyptic. So. 
you know, every group has this idea of where we are in the kind of the world the clock. T- the timeline of... Of history, right? Yes. Are, are we in the beginning of history? Are we toward the end? You know, how, where where does the end of the world fit in with this kind of thing? And so so what time is it is, is another part of this. Where do we stand in that timeline? Uh, and the final thing, well, I shouldn't say final thing, but the, the third thing is uh, symbols. We talked a little bit about symbols in a previous uh, podcast, but I, I define symbols as, as visible representations of beliefs. And I mentioned then some of the, you know, like the monuments in Washington, D.C., those kind of things. Um, you know, different symbols. I mentioned a dollar bill, I think. Here's an interesting one. So so you mentioned, I think you mentioned the Illuminati. I did. I did. I mentioned Illuminati. We're going, yes. Anyway. And you know, it was funny because there was a, there was an unmarked, looked like an official car outside where we were recording that when you when you mentioned right outside the bistro. Yes. They were watching. They're always watching. Yeah, kind of being surveilled. I think. But yes. Anyway, let's not mention the Illuminati <laughs> again. But but yes. if you think about another image, so there's there's an eagle on on the dollar bill. Have you ever noticed what the eagle's doing or what's what? He's got his wings out and he's holding a scroll. Isn't no? He? I don't think so. I don't I, know. He's got he's got two two. I don't know. He's got two different things in his talons. Yeah. So, okay. So, what's in the one talon? Do, do I need to give you a dollar bill? Have you? I guess we don't use dollar bills we don't any use longer. Dollar do we? bills anymore? No, I don't. Just well, he's get got to the point. Don't make me look dumb. I'm not trying to make you look dumb. I, I thought. Yeah. I'm yeah sorry. No, I'm sorry. No, I know you're trying to. Include so the me. talons, talons on one side is gripping thirteen arrows. Yes. Okay. And, I remember this now. And the other talon is is gri- gripping an olive branch with thirteen leaves. You know, that's, that's colonies. A, yeah, the colonies. So that's a symbol, right? Yeah. When we talk about the number 13 in the United States, you, you know, that's one of the things we think about early history of the United States. You know, the the kind of the eagle, the idea that, that if necessary, we will fight. I think that's the arrow part yeah. of it, but we seek peace, you know, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe I, I don't know, or peace or die or something like that. But, but yes, but you get what I'm saying? Those are vis- so, so, so the things that we believe we often will symbolize. Mm-hmm. Now, now I mentioned Christians earlier, so we have symbols, right? A- as well, what kind of you know things do we use as symbols? Uh, like, the cross. So if you see a building with a cross on it or a cross up front, you typically think, oh, that's that's a church, and that's a way that they mem- remember Jesus' sacrifice and maybe his resurrection. You know that mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Um, you know, people will wear. Crosses around their necks. How about how about if you seen a fish on the back of a yeah yeah yes. the, the ichthus, ichthus you know which is yes. a, a symbol that was popular back in the late nineties <laughs> yeah ichthus was it was used in early early Christianity as kind of a symbol for for Christianity the 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 name ichthus in Greek stands for it's an acrostic for Jesus Christ the Son of God and so that's where that Jesus Christu Theu Theus Soter, son of God, savior. I, I knew I was missing a letter there someplace. <laughs> but, you know, th- these are symbols, right? These are mm-hmm. visible representations of beliefs. So here's the last thing then is praxis or practices. So we might say we believe certain things or we might say we're certain people, but then our practice might show show something different. The way we act might show something different. And Wright would say that when we look at the worldview, for example, of an ancient people, we look at the th- practices that they engaged in as well. We, we've talked about archaeology on here, and that's the thing that archaeology can sometimes show us is the practices don't always match with what people say, for example. So right. now, you know, all these four together then again tell us something about the worldview. And that's why, you know, I, I always tell you when Jesus, for example, is talking to the 
the people in the in the Gospels to look at that group. Who, who's he talking to? Is it Sadducees? Are these Pharisees? Are these people who believed in him? Are they people who were opposed to him? When we think about the, that group and their worldview, it helps us understand what Jesus is saying to them then. But, I mean, you might talk to somebody differently. You know, it's not like you'd, you'd say a different thing, but you might use different language if you're talking to, you know, let's say your kids as opposed to a stranger, right? right. You, you approach it differently. Right, right. And you, you might use different images. You might do, use different kinds of language, things that are in common. If, if somebody asked you a question, for example, about what you believe about God, if they're a fellow believer— you're, you're probably going to start at a different place than if this is someone who's not a believer and is asking you, well, I'm, I, I don't believe in God. Why do you believe in God? You're going to answer that question differently. So that's why I think it's important for us to understand the worldview that, for example, the people who Jesus was talking to or in the book of Acts. Let me give you a real good example. Paul's in, in Athens at the Areopagus, yes. right? And he gives this famous sermon and He's appealing to their worldview there, right? Do you remember some of the ways? Yeah, so there was the the statue to the unknown God. Right. Because they were just trying to, they didn't want to leave a God out because sure, you know, they believed sure. in this meta narrative that there were gods ruling the world. Right. And so he says, you know, the unknown is known. Right. And and he kind of uses that as a jumping off point to, to, to talk to them. And so you see that, that that's a really specific example, but Paul does that in his letters. In the in the Old Testament, we can see examples of this. In the Hebrew Bible, we see examples of this where, you know, for example, some of the things that God says to his people during the time of the conquest have to do with the worldview of the of the Canaanites, the people who live there. You know, some of the specific, well, maybe the most famous examples, the, the um, events of the Exodus, probably were directly opposed to Egyptian religion. So it was a way that the more we can understand the worldview of the Egyptians, the more we can make sense of what God is doing and the things that he's saying. And how they're interpreting it as <clears throat> absolutely, well. Absolutely. Absolutely. We said worldview is the way that you view the world. So so you're, you know, here's the practical upshot of this for us as believers when we're describing things. We can't just simply, you know, people say, oh, I just, you know, use the same language or whatever. Well, you know, we have to really think about who who is it we're talking to and and, and what's their belief. If, if I'm talking to someone, for example, who may be a, a Hindu, I'm going to talk to them differently, not because the truth's different or anything, but I've got to think about how can I tell the story in a way that's going to that's going to connect with them. How can I, you know, explain my beliefs in a way that's going to connect? I might do that differently than I would with someone who had a different understanding or a different worldview. Yeah, because if you can make that connection, then there, there's potential sure. for reception. Yeah, you know absolutely. Because I mean? because if you're if you're speaking something that's foreign and you're not making any connections yeah. to how they see or understand the world, yeah, then it's you know, they have no framework to understand what you're saying. I think that's correct. And, and you know, building relationships are important, you know, those, those kind of things, really trying to hear, you know, the, the old thing of uh, seek first to understand before you seek to be understood, you know, trying to think, okay, how can I really understand where this person is coming from before I begin to, you know, just kind of you know, berate them with my understanding, you know, so, I, you know, sometimes we get the cart before the horse in that, right. but I think worldview can help us to understand uh, all of those things. So when we analyze, I would call this analyzing a worldview. What we're really doing is we're looking at, you know, the stories, the 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 way people answer these 
big questions about life and, and the meaning in the universe, about their practices and about their symbols, about their, their visible. So let me give you a practical example we've already talked about. The Gospel of John, uh, I've talked about the importance of the temple. And the mm-hmm. temple was a hugely important symbol for the Jewish people in the first century and, and, and other times too. But I'm just talking about, you know, anytime worldview is going to be kind of historically located, right? And man, that was an important symbol for them. You know, we've said before, it symbolizes both the presence of God in the midst of his people and, and also the way that you draw near to God. They understood God was everywhere, but his presence is manifest here in a special way. And this is where I go to offer sacrifice in order to be able to draw near to him. So it was it was a hugely important deal. Uh, so when Jesus talks about things to his disciples, for example, I'm telling you the truth, there's a time coming. This generation will not pass away. There's a time coming when this building is going to be destroyed, you know, to paraphrase. Yes. Uh, not one stone will be left on the other. Man, that hit at a very important symbol for those people. So, yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things as we were talking about worldview is just the importance of it. Like, even today, for us to understand, right? You know, as we're looking back for interpretation of scripture, but also I think for us as Christians living in the world, like the yeah. call that Christ has played on us to be his disciples is right. understanding worldview. Number one, us understanding our own worldview, right. you know, very well, but then like to engage with the world around us, you know, we talked about meta narrative, yeah. like once we understand our meta narrative and the meta narrative of someone else, those around right. us, now we can't know everything exhaustively about right. them, but it, it provides that base, just like Paul, an apologetic, you know, uh-huh. like an, an, an explanation of our faith to fit within that. Right. So I think, you know as we understand our worldview becomes this uh, a way of defense of our faith Absolutely. because we understand the symbols and we can engage in the world in the way that God wants us to. Yeah. I was going to say, even for ourselves, just to see the world, you know, in, in a theistic in a, way, in a theistic way, right. You know, our Christianity isn't just uh, limited to a particular time or place, but it, it causes us literally to see the world differently because of what we believe about resurrection, for example, you know, that's, that's an important let me use that as an example of what I was talking about, because I said all four of those things fit together. Resurrection is an is important one. So there are ways we symbolize Jesus' resurrection. So Paul says, for example, and when he's talking about the Lord's Supper, he says, We do this, we, you know, drink the blood of Christ, we we eat his flesh, if you will, you know, and we do this looking forward to his return. So we're remembering what he did, but then this would be different if he hadn't risen from the dead, you know. Right. Lord's Supper would have a whole whole different connotation if it if it wasn't for the re- truth of the resurrection. So that's an important thing. We tell the story, you know, every Easter, biggest day of the year for us, you know, and so it's a time where we remember that Christ was victorious over death, and that that makes a difference for us. So we symbolize those things. We tell that repeated story, practices like partaking of the Lord's Supper, the things that we do. Uh, our way that we record that, and it even answers those big questions: Who are we? Well, we're resurrection people, you know. And w- what's the problem? Well, well, death, because you know, because of sin, death has entered the world. But ultimately, as as Paul says in First Corinthians chapter fifteen, where's your sting now, death? Where's your sting grave? You know, you, you know, Christ has been victorious over these things, and so all of that together is a part of, and I'd say a central part of our worldview. Not you know, not the only thing, but that's right. a very important part. Uh, of the way that we view the world. We look at the world differently because we are people of the resurrection, I would say. And so 
Yeah. It, it affects it affects our lives and, and you know, yeah, things every we do. situation right. we, we we process through that lens. Right. I, you know, I, I sometimes I like to say it this way that Christianity in, in Christianity we believe that dead things can become alive. And I think that's true, you know, not only with our own resurrection, with the resurrection of Jesus, but even in hopeless situations we believe that that there is hope, you know. Death doesn't have the final the final word in those things. We we believe that the the dead can always be made alive. And you know, the power of the resurrection. Paul says it's the power of the resurrection's work in us, right? It's it's not just something in the past, but it's something that's active and, and a work in us. Yeah. Well and we and we talked about this little uh a couple episodes ago. It's about how I prepare prepare for Bible yeah. study and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I talked a little bit about my children. Yeah. And like, you know, we're going through trying to teach them theology, but we're trying to give them a worldview. Right now, with what's happening in the world, like worldview is being pushed yeah. on all sides. Yeah, not that worldviews have not always been challenged, sure. um, but you know, a, a Christian perspective on who we are and how we interact with each other. Right, um, and so the importance is for the, for the Christian is to continue to instill that value in ourselves and in our right. families. Talking about like the symbols and the stories to continue right. to share the stories yeah. to continue to share and to mold worldview. Yeah. Because when worldview becomes secondary, you know, right. where it becomes like it's it's not a priority, that's when things right. you, you know, you can kind of fall off the rails a little bit there. Yeah. And I think, you know, when we preach, when we sing worship songs together, that's why it's so important to, you know, and I know this is, you know, it's a music ministry major. This yeah. is a this is a major thing for you is to think about, you know, these songs need to be speaking to us about truth. Because you know, in some ways, you often remember the songs more than you remember, remember the, the sermon. sermon right? Yeah, and when we repeat those over and over again, you know, we Sunday after Sunday, or maybe you know, we sing it once a month. It's a, it becomes an important song for us. That helps define us. It helps form us, is the way I would say. It's not not just a matter of us repeating empty words, but it's it's doing something real in the world. It's forming who we are, and I think it's same what you're saying with your kids. When you're modeling this, that's the praxis part of it. You're showing them here's how we act in particular situations. You're you're telling them these stories and and wanting to ingrain them until so that they're deep within them. You know, David's the author of Psalm 119. You know, you, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. This idea that it's a it's a part of me. Your word and those stories are part of me. In the Old Testament, God's always reminding his people about the thing, the Exodus, the things that he's done. Exodus is like the major, I always say the major redemption story in the Old Testament is the Exodus. And of course, Jesus is is the overarching story of redemption for us. And so, you know, those are just, those are formative. They, they form who we are. Uh, you're helping them answer questions about what's wrong with the world. And, and that's part of Christianity, right? We believe the world is fallen and broken, and, and we believe that, you know, I often say Jesus is the answer. We just don't always know the right questions, right? But right. so. And I think the thing, we're going to talk about this more and more as we go through, as we kind sure. of, again, try to step into that worldview of first century Palestinians to understand what's going on, Jewish Palestinians, about what's happening in the New Testament, who's Paul writing to? You know, right. part of that is understanding Roman culture and some yeah. of that. What's happening? You know, I always think when you are, you and I are dead and gone in the future. If someone's trying to understand what's happening now, yeah. they're going to think about our worldview. That's exactly right. You know, it's you know, we talk about a nine eleven. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, how did that shape that event? How yeah. did that event shape? how we think and do and laws that were passed and things yeah. that were important or not important. I think about, um, it's changed our practices, you changed know? our practices. Yeah. I think a lot of times I think about, um, 
I watch a lot of World War II documentaries. Right. And the hesitancy of the United States to enter into mm. World War II yeah. is because they'd come out of the Depression, World War One. Right. The Depression, the people, you know, the United right. States was, we didn't need to be involved in all those things because they had seen the, the many soldiers that had died were in right. a depressed economy. Like, and then it's, you know, when Pearl Harbor happens, then it's this, oh, now we're engaged. A with defining it. event. It's a defining yeah. event to understand, but their worldview at the time, why they were so yeah. hesitant was informed by these other events sure. around them. And so they're not just people that just are floating brains that don't have experience right. around them. That, that's the thing. It's not, and so it's going to be different in every historical period. And that's, that's the other thing I'll, I'll say is, you know, when we read the Bible, we don't just read it flat. We don't just read it, you know, well, is this in the time of the Exodus or is this in the time of Isaiah? Is this the divided monarchy? Is this during mm-hmm. the time of David? All those are different historical periods, and people think differently. They've been informed by the things that have gone before. So, we've talked about when I talked about archaeology, I talked about King Hezekiah, for example, and uh, the Assyrian conquest. You know, and so here's the Assyrians that come to his door, and then and then God deals with them. So, so that's a, a formative part of the the people's psyche at that period of time that God has you know answered this, and so we're going to see them react differently than they would have before that. Uh, yeah, and I mentioned you know eighty seventy obviously the destruction of Jerusalem the destruction of the temple was like you mentioned nine eleven for us eighty seventy was formative and when we've talked about the gospel of John before I, I said you know here was this major event and, and John is responding to that I think and and answering some questions these big questions that people have what do we what do we do now you know who who are we now if we are identified as as people who who came. Every year, a part of our practice, so we would come to these feasts up at the temple, and the temple's now gone. How do we define who we are? And so John gives them the answer that Jesus has said, you know, there's a time coming when we'll worship neither on this mountain nor in, nor in Jerusalem, but the true worshiper will worship in spirit and truth, not bound by location, but uh, we'll, we'll be a worshiper, the, you know, follower of Jesus, so... So when we say the worldview, hopefully this gives you a yeah. little bit of idea of, of what we're talking about um, and using it as, uh, I don't want to be like academic, <laughs> it's me, <laughs> like an interpretive framework. Right, it's, right. It's the framework that we can say, it, it's hard for us to separate ourselves and go, well, no, this is what they were thinking back yeah. then. But it's kind of going, no, you have to understand who they were, you right. know, all those things. Well, even being even being willing to recognize that the the Bible was not... You know, the the Bible is is pertinent for all of God's people for all time, but it was not addressed directly to 21st century North American Christians, right? And sometimes right. we read forgetting that step of trying to understand the original recipients and, and hearers. Still pertinent to us today. It still, it still applies directly to us today, but we have to understand it within the context. God chose to speak it historically in that period of time. And so we, it's it's on us. It's it behooves us then to to understand it in that context. So, well, Brian, thanks for the great discussion. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, I, and I think it. I think this is going to be good as we continue to push ahead as we talk right. about how do we understand what's happening, how yeah. do we understand who Paul's writing to, how do we understand sure. what Jesus, who Jesus is speaking to, and you know, even as we talk about, I think we're going to talk here pretty soon about apocalyptic literature, right? How does that fit into this sure. and, and, and speak to all that? So yeah. all of this goes together to help us just give us tools to understand scripture. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Yeah. See you next time in the Bistro. See you, Ryan. Yeah. 
Well, thanks so much for listening to this episode of Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. We hope you enjoyed it. We actually have something a little extra for you this week. On Thursday, we will be releasing a bonus episode with special guest Ryan Burge. Ryan is the author of the book, The Nuns, where they came from, who they are, and where they are going. If you've been listening to the podcast from the beginning, you might recognize his name when we discussed some of his book in episode number four, Decline and Church Affiliation. Listening to Ryan is like drinking from a fire hose, as he has a lot to say about the data and what it means for us as the church. It's a great episode, and I'm excited for you all to hear it and the conversations it may spark. In the meantime, you can find show notes, links, and more for this episode and others at thebiblebistro.com. You can also find us and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Bible Bistro. And as always, you can subscribe to us on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Just search for Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. If you are enjoying the podcast and find it helpful, would you also please give us a review with Apple Podcasts? The more positive reviews we receive, the more likely others will be able to find and listen to this content. Thanks so much for coming to the Bistro. We'll talk to you on Thursday.